One year, a friend of mine persuaded me to coach a little league baseball team. The other coaches were very pleased to have a preacher on board, I think to elevate their image in town. And perhaps they thought I was an easy mark, which I was. When I went to the first coaches meeting, while the other coaches were going eyeball to eyeball and nose to nose and fist to fist over promising 10 and 11 year old pictures, I said, just give me any 15 kids and we'll have a wonderful season. Well, as far as wins were concerned, we had about a 50-50 good season with 15 kids that no other coach wanted. Well, at the end of the season, they asked me to give the invocation at the annual Little League banquet. Being young and idealistic, I wanted to make the point that some of us had allowed the desire to win to get a little bit out of hand. So as part of my invocation, I asked God to help us keep the fun of playing the game as our central perspective. Afterwards, I'll agree it was a wonderful message and they told me so, including one coach who earlier had protested to the league the game in which my team be his. He protested, he said, because the pitching rubber from which his son pitched was an inch off of the regulation distance between the mound and the plate. He had gone home to get a tape measure to come out and make sure he got the measurement correctly. To my surprise, I was asked to invoke the same banquet for several more years. I took every opportunity to sharpen my message about keeping competition in perspective. But people loved the message every time they heard it, although it had absolutely no effect on their behavior when they were coaching their teams. Finally, I understood. They wanted me to address this thought to God because my doing so seemed to absolve them from ever having to put the same sentiments into practice when they were with their players. For a long time after that, I have been a little cynical about public prayer. It occurred to me that most banquet prayers have less effect than the rolls and the salad, which will be served as soon as the preacher stops talking. Yet banquet prayer survives as a very modest ritual attainment for our lapses in thankfulness generally, and to give the preacher a chance to demonstrate that he really should have been 
the main speaking event. Private prayer, listening to me, was another matter. In it, we confront our relationships with power and the absence of power. Were we ever made to feel guilty about our prayers or the lack of them? Did we ever pray for something and it didn't happen? Did we ever wonder if our prayers were not heeded because God didn't like us? Were we once taught that only weak people needed to pray, that strong people have no reason to do it because they just make things happen all by themselves? Or finally, did we fail to get beyond the question of who, if anyone, was listening to all of those prayers? All these are things that parishioners have said to me over the years. Many years ago, I was visiting a seriously ill parishioner. And as I had reached the end of my visit, I got up to leave. And knowing her to be a staunch humanist, I said something like, you'll be in my thoughts. She responded with a twinkle in her eyes and said, that's what all my liberal friends say. But if you've also got any prayers, I'd be happy to have them too. That brought me up short. Why had I not offered the one thing that belongs to my profession in such situations? I know why now. I was afraid. I was afraid of appearing unsophisticated or suggesting a faith less than concrete in medical science. And yet, since I had then, I have noted in every congregation I have served as their interim minister, each congregation has a moment for joys and sorrows in the service. Some parishioners, more than a few, have asked that the congregation keep a loved one in their prayers. So it seems there is at least a lot of latent belief in prayer going around. I've come to believe now that prayers are important, not because God needs to hear them and not depending on whether or not there is an affirmative response. But pr prayers are important because we need to say them regardless of whether or not there is a divine response. The Reverend Douglas Taylor, a Unitarian minister, wrote that there are roughly five different kinds of prayer, and they are each typified by one short phrase. They are, wow, thank you, sorry, please, and silence. I'll repeat them. They are wow, thank you, sorry, please, and silence. Wow is the way we feel when we reach the top of a mountain and there before us 
looking off the side, lies all of the countryside for miles and miles on end. The land is lit or shaded by variations in the sunlight on the landscape. It is a theme that not even the greatest artist or photographer can appreciate better than the hiker who has worked hard to get there and finds that now it was all worth it. Wow. That's the way I feel. After listening to the last movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, or an aria by Puccini, each of us has his or her own wow moments. And it seemed important to acknowledge them openly because they have to balance out the many mo moments in life that are purely mundane or even boring. The prayer I often pray includes this phrase, give us a heart wide open to all of this joy and beauty and save our souls from becoming so absorbed in care or so darkened by selfishness that we pass heedless and unseeing when even the thorn bush by the wayside is aflame with the glory of God. The second form of prayer is thank you. Any number of events in our full life can cause us to feel thankful that we have life, health, friends, family, work, leisure, good advice, and the strength to survive our own mistakes. What we may have to be thankful for is not always readily apparent. And that is why we need to acknowledge explicitly those moments and those qualities for which we are truly grateful. Being a family preacher, I am always asked to say grace over our Thanksgiving meals. It is a prayer of thankfulness for the many ways in which a family can be generous, loving, and supportive. Now I say this prayer knowing full well that I am not always so grateful that all of the people around the table are in my life. But I need to remind myself gently as well as firmly of my family and to remind them of what we are or could be in our best moments. Thankfulness prayers are sometimes hard to come by because there are rough patches in life that we really struggle to get beyond. Perhaps all of us know people who rarely, if ever, make this prayer. And that is profoundly detrimental to their spiritual and emotional well-being. This is why we have thank you prayers at worship in our hymns, in our readings, in our spoken prayers, and sometimes in our interaction with each other.
Morning has broken like the first morning. Blackbird has spoken like the first bird. Praise for the singing. Praise for the morning. Praise for them bringing fresh from the word. And we sing now together our song of thanksgiving, rejoicing in goods that the ages have brought. For life that enfolds us and helps and heals and holds us and leads beyond the goals which our forebears once thought. We sing of the freedoms which martyrs and heroes have won by their labor, their sorrow, their pain. The oppressive befriending, their ampler hopes defending, their death becomes a triumph. They died not in vain. The third category is that there are prayers that say, I'm sorry. Not only is no one perfect, but each of us can do things that are very hurtful to other people. I'm told that in one of the Jewish high holy days services, there is a litany of human fathers and the congregation is encouraged to recognize and regret them publicly. Though those words, through those words, which are carried, said and sung every year. In the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer, these words are said virtually every week. We have done those things which we ought not to have done, and we have left undone those things we should have done. I find it very supportive to have the people around me join in that affirmation that we have the capacity to disappoint ourselves and others. And that's something that we regret very deeply. To those let you know you're not the only one who has fallen short of the mark and you know it. The fourth form of prayer is please. Please help me get better. Please help my friend get a job. Please make my mother or my friend well again. Some Unitarian Universalists tend to avoid this kind of prayer, either because they do not believe in God or because they don't believe this kind of prayer works. Well, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does sometimes. A prayer that begins, please God, help me get this promotion. I've worked so hard for it. Is a prayer that does not reach beyond the order of one person's concern. A prayer or caring thought for someone else does connect with the love that many believe is the source of life and the only real support for the quality of our lives together. How often have you heard a story of parents and children or siblings or old friends who suddenly mysteriously know that a message of some kind has been sent to them? Message is usually that someone they love 
needs their support. This is not unusual. This reaching out without words is so common, it no longer rates as a coincidence. Nor is it unusual for people to sense that someone they love has just said goodbye to them, but they do not know until later that a death had occurred at that precise moment. They thought they had received a message of goodbye. This also happens often. It happened in my own family. One way to understand it is to conjecture that we are not really that isolated from each other. We are connected in often mysterious ways, both by the depth of our caring for this life and for those with whom we have shared it. So if I put you in my prayers, and if you pray for someone, we're both hoping intensely that a misfortune that seems to be looming over someone does not happen. And perhaps that person will not fear. Will it work? We don't know, but it will draw us closer to one another and to the source of life and love that strengthens and upholds most of us. About say thank you, sorry, and pleased. The final form of prayer is silence. I worked at a Quaker summer camp for many years. Our campers were upper middle class kids uh, from the Northeast largely. We introduced them to daily silent worship for 20 minutes a weekday and for an hour on Sunday. Few of them were from Quaker families and many had no particular experience with religion or science. And actually quite a few of them hated both religion and science. But over the course of weeks, most adjusted to it and even requested a meeting for worship at some points during the day or at the top of a mountain when none was scheduled. This was my crew that they were getting the idea and it was working. The discipline of silence, even for children, requires that you put down the antics and anxieties of your mind. You listen to what is going on inside of your head. You don't fight it. You don't deny it. It's very, and that's very hard to do. But listen, listen carefully. When friends have settled in comfortably with one another, they say that they are being led by the silence. And what they mean is that in unusually powerful moments, something in the silence knits them together. Most of us, including me, 
are uncomfortable with long periods of silence in worship. At the first parish of Lincoln, where I served a year as their interim minister, there is a three minute hourglass timer behind the pulpit. When the minister is ready to begin the prayer part of the service, he turns the hourglass over. And this is important. He sits down to watch the sand run through the glass for three minutes. The prayers of the congregation follow and they are the joys and sorrows of the service, though much more centered, much more thoughtfully centered than I have experienced in many congregations. The silence before spoken prayer is a vital part of their service in Lincoln and will betide any preacher who attempts to cut it short. That preacher will hear about it. And I know I did a couple of times. So what's in a prayer? Working easily with other people has been a prayer or an evening spent with some close friends. Active listening has often been a prayer and laboring to express myself on paper has taken me far enough out of my own internal world and its anxieties to become an expression of prayer. Family celebrations can be a form of prayer, though they can also be a feat of endurance, I'll admit. In my immediate family, the brief moment when our children were growing up, the brief moment when uh, we sat down to eat, prayer brought us from ourselves and toward others, and hence toward the source of caring that is life, that is creation itself. Religious institutions offer disciplines of prayer, work for thousands of people, but not for everyone. Each of us needs to find the path for ourselves and the paths that will be our form of prayer. <clears throat> our deepest longing and caring, our working and our singing, our hoping and our praying connects us with a mysterious strength, which all religions believe is ultimate reality and which some call God. Our deepest hopes and dreams are less selfish acts and kinder thoughts can accomplish more than we know. Do we have a prayer? All of us has a prayer. The task is to appreciate what, what it really is and what it does for us. Amen. <clears throat>